0: Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Westman, and this is the Keto Made Simple podcast. Let's begin. I want to talk about the medications that have come out. A lot of buzz about that. And then maybe even throw in, if you've heard the chatter, clamor about um, erythritol over the last few days is in the news. You know, it's going to give you a heart attack. So they say, no, it's not. But that's what they said in the news, right? <laughs> um well, I had planned to show you some slides from the meeting, but I can't show slides. First, what about these new medicines? Well, you may not recall, but I'm actually past president of the Obesity Medicine Association. The Obesity Medicine Association is the largest group of medical weight loss doctors in the world. I think there are 4,000 doctors now who treat obesity as a specialty, and the uh, training that you get, you, you actually go to get special training, um, it involves in-person classes and meetings, and then also online training, and you actually sit for an exam called the Obesity Medicine Diploma. Um, what I'm trying to lead up to is that you actually you should get special training in order to use these medicines safely, and uh, we've created a, a way for you to learn and then get certified in obesity medicine. I say we because, you know, this goes back 10, 15 years when we were actually creating this pathway for certification, uh, and I was part of that uh, pathway. Most obesity medicine doctors in the U.S. Uh, we use medications. And uh, they don't use the prescription-strength keto diet like I do. Most of them don't, but I've been teaching the prescription-strength keto diet at the Obesity Medicine Association meetings for over 10 years now. And there are a lot of other doctors who are starting to use it, but that's the minority. Most doctors who are in the obesity medicine world use medications. Best if the medicine is... Paired with a diet that is either low calorie or low carbohydrate, the medicines work better that way. And what's interesting is the time honored medicine among this group was called phentermine, or fentermine, a p h e n t e r m i n e, and it may ring a bell if you've been in this area for a while with fenfen. It's not fenfen. You may remember in the 90s, FENFEN came out and was extremely popular and then went away because of some concerns about heart heart risk. Um, and uh, so the uh, fentramine is the most common um, medicine used. But now uh, it was interesting. So when I was president of this OMA meeting, I'll call it OMA, uh, OMA Society, um, a couple of companies were starting to make new drugs in the obesity world. And because for a long time, I mean, for 50 years now, there really was only Phentermine. And fentamine still works today. It's still very commonly used. Um, but uh, among other companies, Novo and Nordisk started making medicine to target obesity. I remember sitting in a meeting where the people from the company came and gave their presentation to the board of our, our organization of how they have this research and development going on to make new medicines for obesity treatment. So, with my hat as president of this organization, of course, I was excited, and and I am excited. I think there are so many complicating factors and nuances, and carb addiction and sugar addiction. Um, that we need many, many different tools to help people. So just to tell you that I'm not morally opposed to use medications. In fact, I think it's a good thing that that um, in many doctors' minds, uh, especially those who go through the obesity medicine training, that it's not you know uh, on, obesity is not unworthy of medicine treatment. Or, you know, then that was kind of the old way that doctors thought about it, or even you might think about it. it Said, well, you know, I don't need a medicine for this. What well, you might, and you know, it's a. you um, uh, uh, it may it may seem strange to come from me, known as a weight loss uh, lifestyle guy, uh, that medicines can be helpful. Now, it's not a long term sort of uh, proposition, uh, but it might be something to use to get you to your goal, and then somebody's going to have to teach you, or you're going to have to teach yourself how to maintain the weight here while you're at the goal. So the tragedy of medications and surgical weight loss is that they can often get you to the goal, but then either the, you forget to go back or or you're not welcomed back to the surgical clinic because they don't really know how to do anything other than do surgery. So that you don't learn how to keep the weight off and then you just go back to the way you were eating. And sadly Many, many people, even with weight loss surgery or medicines, will go back to where they were because nobody taught them how to keep the weight off. That's what we want to do for you is to get you to the goal and then help you keep the weight off. And the, the best lifestyle treatment that I know of is one that's super low in carbs, now called keto, and doing it in a properly formulated way. So you focus on protein coming first, you don't add in fats and oils and all that. So, um, so the news came out that you know people like, in Kardashian and the, these stars and starlets were using Ozempic, which is a drug that is approved in a different form for weight loss. A drug called Saxenda, um, and there's also one called WeGovi. Don't you love those names? When you love to be on those, I actually was on a committee once where they were figuring out names for smoking cessation drugs. I don't know if you remember the, the one called Zyban that, that took, you know, probably a million dollars to come up with that name. I don't think it was a uh, medicine for weight, for smoking cessation. It still is. Well, so I guess what I'm trying to say is um, these medicines can help, but you still have to have that adding on of a uh, teaching or training on, on weight loss uh, uh of eating and maintenance, Um, my preference is to use lifestyle as the way to get you to the goal and then to maintain because then you've learned how to lose weight and keep it off all at the same time. The uh, allure of something like Ozempic or other uh, weight loss medicine is that you really don't have to focus much on changing the food while you're losing the weight. So what happens with these new kind of injectable medicines is that you get this pen, it's really not even much of a shot anymore, it's just a super low, super small needle, and you you inject it once a day or once a week, and it cuts your hunger out, sometimes even to the point where you don't eat anything. That's very good for weight loss. In fact, that's the, the fastest weight loss method is total fasting, you're not eating anything problem is it's not the healthiest way to do it. So you want to, I want to help you lose weight and keep it off in the healthiest manner possible, which again, still for me is lifestyle change, changing the diet. Um, and, uh, uh, the, but the medicine, let's say, so I'm in the clinic. I was in the clinic today and, you know, the last few weeks, um, there are a lot of people who just and wrap their head around changing the food. I, you know, it, it could be that it's just hard to teach them, or they're not—they're not really interested in changing anything. And, and 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 so now, the doctor is in the position where we could give you just a shot, just a, a little injectable pen-like thing, and everything's done for you. You, your hunger goes down. You eat less. Um, so the the allure of using it is that it's very effective and it's very easy to use and and the person you're dealing with doesn't have to really think about much doesn't have to learn a new way of a new way of looking at food and you don't have to teach them all this so um so we're, unfortunately we're in a space now which is very common in, in this world in the US where the marketing is out there the stars and starlets are out there using this and for the average person it's too expensive it's a thousand dollars a month in order to get the medicine. If it's not covered by your insurance. So to Kim Kardashian or whoever was popularized using it, that's nothing. They can clearly have the money to spend for that. Um, if it's covered by insurance, that then the cost is much less. And I've even heard now that some doctors are able to get it sort of off label on um, with to keep the cost down. Um, so let so let's say let's say it was free, and you could just go get it it's covered by insurance and it's a thirty dollar copay or fifty for each month. that might, might be something you'd want to consider, but I wouldn't just do it without learning about proper nutrition and here's where I think some people will be hurt or or will be given a treatment that doesn't allow for optimal healthy weight loss so what's happening now is any doctor can prescribe this medicine. They're not trained in nutrition. Uh, I've pretty much confirmed just about any doctor trained in the last, well, 30, 40 years in the U.S. has received no nutrition training. You know, it just you can assume that. They learn about nutrition from the TV like you do, companies teaching you, you know, where would you get vitamin C if it wasn't in orange juice, right? Well, you get plenty of vitamin C in your food without orange juice. Don't worry. But um, so now doctors will be prescribing left and right uh, this new newer one, which is a combination of these incretins, GLP ones, called Munjaro, is so strong that it's moved from the diabetes world to the weight loss world. And there are some people who don't eat at all over a several-month period, and their their weight loss is similar to surgical weight loss. Because surgical weight loss is caused by having people not eat anything or having very little. And the damage done, we know, in surgical weight loss is that you lose muscle mass. If you don't eat enough protein after surgery, you will probably lose some muscle mass, some protein, lean body mass. And that's not what you want as far as the healthiest way to lose weight. So, you know on the side of the column of use the medicines is that it, you don't have to teach people much. They just get the drug and use it. Um, it, it's, it may or not be expensive depending on your insurance, and, and um, then the side effects are, are it's tolerated well, but when I first saw the sextenda, this is the drug, uh, weight loss version uh, of this medicine, uh, about a third of people had nausea, but it was tolerated. So, so, and it goes away after a couple of days. So, you're, you're kind of buying into the fact that you're going to be, you know, I don't know, have been on the tilt a whirl or on a spinny ride for a day or two. Okay. It might not be that bad. But, um, you're, anyway, you adopt the side effects that these medicines will give you. And yet, it still may be worth it to, to mm-hmm. if that uh, result is really what you want um, that is rapid uh, weight loss from not eating. And uh, so, I, I you know want you to eat every day, and the protein section of the food list is where you should eat. If your ha- appetite is so suppressed, have some meat, poultry, fish, and shellfish, and eggs, and then I know that you're going to get some protein that day. Um, so you know, I guess I have mixed feelings about the the need for new treatments because there are some people that. Like yeah, I, I'm in the trenches. There's some people who come to me; they just won't, for whatever reason, wrap their head around doing the program like this. Um, and I still think they're deserving of some kind of treatment. Uh, and and you may actually be in the old way of thinking, where well, I don't don't want to take a drug for this. Well, the the it, obesity is such a complicated thing that it is a disease worth treating with medication. And uh, it may be something for you to, to consider. So um, I don't see it as a first-line thing to try. If the lifestyle change is effective and it clicks with you, then you don't even need the medicines. Um, so in my office, I, I bring the, uh, the whole um, array of tools we have as at obesity medicine doctors. We have prescription-strength diets, which is what I start with. We have prescription drugs, the pills and the shots. And there are programs you can also purchase from the doctors called very low-calorie diets. Those are uh, shakes and bar programs you purchase from the doctor. You get medical supervision. And, and if you stay to these these products, the, you will lose weight because the calories are brought down to about six or 800 per day. So it's a very low-calorie diet. Um, there are more side effects, uh, you know, Fatigue and hair loss, things like that, but it's a potent, powerful way to do it, and and so these are the the things that we have as a medical weight loss doctors, all of which are less risky and less side effectful than surgical weight loss. So remember, we're we're in the and I'm in, with past president of the medical weight loss um, society or association, not the surgeons. In fact, it's a it's kind of is indicative of. The relationship between the two is that we we are not in the same building as the weight loss surgeons. We have a different philosophy um, and um, uh, after Vera Tarman's uh, course and, and reading her book Food junkies, I if you had the chance to take her course it's fantastic. Her first lesson really nailed it as what we're we're living in a processed food sugar, environment which is a disaster like blizzard you know it's hard to avoid all this stuff our philosophy is medical weight loss doctors as we either teach you to avoid it which is like a keto diet or we give you medicines to make you eat less of it um, surgeons have the philosophy of well we'll just lop out your part of your stomach to, in order to live in this environment of a blizzard um, so really the, the end or, or the the um, ultimate fix for all of this is stopping the blizzard of food sugar and highly processed foods into our our environment and our world and of course that's going to take a long time or it may never happen so I wonder, does um let me see if, if you have any questions about um the medicines let me address those now and then i'll switch over to the meeting i was just at so uh, susan uh, says i was appalled. Our local weight loss clinic is offering weight loss surgery and injectable meds to a friend who is active and able to play pickleball four days a week and run around as her grandkids. She's just unhappy she is not losing weight. I'm trying to get her to try Keto Made Simple. Yeah, I know. So Susan, it's not unusual in, in our area here in North Carolina, even the other doctors refer people to surgery and and, and they don't think of the medical weight loss they don't think of just changing the food it, it's uh, the surgeons have done a great job of marketing themselves and getting themselves in front of all these other doctors and i would certainly think susan your friend should try medical weight loss which is the prescription strength diets prescription strength drugs these other products before surgery um so let's see oh thanks kyle enable screen sharing um John says, I have an overweight twin sister, retired nurse who is married to the Weight Watchers method, and I haven't found the key to opening up her mind to challenging her current thinking. Well, John, is she successful with Weight Watchers? Uh, is kind of, yeah, no. Okay, I can see you shaking your head. Well, that, yeah, that's the problem. Um, because, uh, you know, the metaphor that I use that some people like, some people don't is um, the Weight Watchers was, you know, and other things like low fat diets were developed when we were using phones with cords and flip phones you know and now we have smartphones of course that metaphor fails if you're welcome to fuller butts a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast yes you heard that right join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty, and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. Twin sister is still using a flip phone, but you might say, you know, if you're using a smartphone, this keto thing, it's a new technology. It's, you know, you should follow a new technology and then the, 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 somehow the aha of, well, if it's working for you, great. But it's not working for you. Yeah, you know, that's sometimes hard to to get across. Um, uh, let's see. Colleen says, "But what happens to the when the person stops the? Me- oh, what happens when the person stops the medicine? Um, I you know I was just talking to my neighbor about this, who's a nurse practitioner, and in the news, someone has said the kind of absurd, I mean, it's a ridiculous statement, which is you have to stay on it forever." If you get off the medicine, you're going to gain all the weight back and, and more. And, you know, no, come on, calm down. Um, <laughs> the, um, remember this thing? You know, if you, if you are given uh, medicine to get to a goal and then you're taught how to keep it off, you don't need the medicine anymore. So what's happening is people are using the medicine, they're not being taught how to keep it off. And the weight comes back. And, and it, what I hear, it's kind of funny. It's a, I think it's a meme out there. People say, I did that Afghans diet. I lost all that weight and it, it came back and I gained even more. You know, it's kind of the, the line. And, and then I'll just say, well, did you stop the diet? I mean, you know, it, can, you, can you really blame the diet for not working when you don't do it? You know? So anyway, all sorts of people lose their minds when it comes to weight. And so, no, if you're taught how to keep the weight off, you don't regain the weight. If you're not taught how to keep the weight off, sure, you go back to the way you were eating, and you'll gain the weight. Um, Yvonne, oh, thanks. The vast majority will regain the weight if they've not made lifestyle changes while on the drug. And even the companies that make these drugs admitted it, you know. Uh, let's see. And, uh, all of these medicines may have side effects. You want to be careful if you have other medical problems, like uh, medicines might have trouble, you have trouble for the kidneys. Um, uh, actually, the the uh, drugs go through what's called phase three studies for FDA approval. Usually thousands of people are put on the drugs with comparator groups to see if there's any difference in side effects. Um, and then there's something called phase four marketing results, where what happens when the drug is released and put out into the real world for a while. And th- this is really kind of the, the the gamble you're taking with a drug like this, if you take it for a long period of time, you know, which might be three to six months, is is it creating some kind of other change that wasn't detected in these clinical trials? So is there a side effect or a serious problem that wasn't found because it was just less common? So things that happen, you know, one in a hundred will be found in clinical trials. Things that happen in one in a thousand, one in ten thousand, you might not actually see those results uh, in these studies. So once the drug is released, then you follow up uh, and find it. So I kind of through training realized that I don't want to be the first person to be taking an FDA-approved drug. I wanted to be out a little while, and uh, and that's just to hedge your hedge your bet, you know, on the safety aspect of it. Uh, for example, there's a drug called Jardians, which is being used now for heart failure. And there are good clinical trials that show it, it stops recurrent heart attacks, but it's at the expense of pretty terrible side effects. And, and and like having infection in the genital infection that gets so bad, it gives you sepsis, meaning systemic infection, then you die. So, the Medicines can work, but then you have these side effects. Are, they're, in my view, they're just too strong because, you know, um, medicines have to work regardless of what people are eating or drinking in, in terms of weight loss. So they have to be super strong. Um, and then uh, that's a, you buy into the unknown of, of these medicines. Um, let's see. CJ says, are you able to speak to the medium or long term effects? Of medicines like Ozempic, so I've heard it an you know, Ozempic face that doctors can spot because weight loss occurs differently. Yeah, I, no, you know, I think the the speed of weight loss will show that face. So there, there's a a look of people who've had weight loss surgery because the weight loss is so fast. Um, I think that's what that's referring to. Um, and no, nobody knows the long term effects. That's, but you can't know. You know. Um, so Sandy asked, "What does the medicine have less side effects than glipizide or other diabetes medicines?" Yeah, I, I would say the the feelings that you get are stronger. So the the nausea or vomiting or no no vomiting don't but nausea loose stools it's a GI sort of thing is stronger. Yeah, side effect profile, but not everyone has it. So you know it has to be tolerable enough to get through the clinical trials. Um, if you do studies in thousands of people and it's so poorly tolerated, nobody takes it, you know, you you don't end up having those. Uh, so I think it's tolerated well by most people. Um, Linda says, some of the appetite suppressants cause heart palpitations. For those who are prone to that, right. So phentermine is the classic sort of upper medicine that might give you palpitations at first. Most people, it, it's something you just adjust to you tolerant of, um, and Ozempic does not seem to cause those in uh, 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 that. So that might be a reason to choose that over fentermine Yeah. Um, so doc to a patient other than sepsis, how are you doing with your weight loss? All right. Kyle's getting a little snarky here. Thank you, Kyle. Um, and, uh, Allison Alison asked the great question that I asked, um, uh, Dr. Um, oh, God, you know, Northwestern, he uh, was so proud of getting this drug out. The question is Can uh, Bob, Kushner, Bob Kushner, Northwestern said, Dr. Kushner, uh, and I said, all of these medicines were tested with a high carb, low calorie diet. What would happen if you used these medicines with a keto diet? And he said, I don't know. That's a good way, place for a new study, which was huge for Dr. Kushner because he didn't really know there were differences between different diets. You know, Ten years ago, I sat down with him and he, he was just, wow, Atkins doesn't work. It's no good. I said, no, Bob, we've, we, here's the research we've done. So anyway, he's a drug uh, treatment expert. And I'd have to say uh, it might be too strong. If you combine ozempic, which by itself, no matter what you eat, will lead to weight loss, and you combine it with a keto diet, which by itself can lead to weight loss, you may actually get extra side effects with them. Now, I do know some doctors who anecdotally are using them together, and they're doing fine, but I, that's something you'd want to just be aware of. If you're having side effects with the combination, it could be that it's just too darn strong, and you you do one or the other. Or do a modified version of a keto diet with it. Um, so, Debbie's iPhone, and uh, Debbie says, I've been following page four with a few slips along the way. I've started KMS2 and over two years lost 10 pounds. Uh, that's, I wouldn't be in business at Duke if my average patient only lost 10 pounds over two years. Uh, Debbie, we we need to get you some help. Or, well, wait, you started some glutide in December, you got some help and lost another 19 pounds. I'm still following page four, but now I'm making progress. Had the thyroid checked and medicine updated and nothing else. Well, that's the, um, I'm glad you found the medicine and and that you understand protein comes first. Um, And I wonder, is it expensive for you? Where do you live? Do you get it to, does insurance pay for it? Um, And then um, just uh, be sure to have some protein while you're losing the weight. Although December, let's see, that's January, it's about eight weeks, or I don't know what part of December, but eight weeks, 19 pounds. If you get over two, three pounds of weight loss per week, you're probably losing some muscle mass. So this is, it's maybe too fast. This is where research really, okay, 10 pounds, not 19. Okay. That makes me feel a little better, <laughs> but still, um, so the rate of weight loss, you don't want to just lose a like game busters and lose muscle mass and get those uh, ozempic face or uh, um, weight loss surgery face. Uh, so, um, but let us know how you're doing. And, uh, you know, the a stall like that for that long means you're eating too much food. It's a tough discussion to have. I usually do it in the confines of my office with someone who really knows me well Sometimes there's a freak out, but you told me it didn't matter. Okay, I changed the rules. So using your own body fat only can occur when you're taking in less energy than you're using for the day. I once worked at the Duke Diet and Fitness Center, and they had this fancy machine where you could actually measure your own metabolic rate. Well, someone measured your metabolic rate for you. I met an a, uh, a older woman who was fairly sedentary. Her metabolism was so slow, she could hardly eat anything in order to lose weight. So that's where the, you know, you go to a doctor who understands this and the safe use of diet is we can go super low on the calories if you're focusing on protein as your main source. And of course, you don't want to eat any fat Get rid of that keto, internet keto thing if you're trying to lose your body fat. I say that if you're eating animal products, you're going to get some fat with the protein. So uh, it's hard to troubleshoot, but those are the kind of the general principles. And I'm glad you're having success. Um, you know, the the um, uh, thought occurs to me, why don't I just start giving medicines to everybody? Well, we're kind of known for that keto thing, going back 24 years now, where after two patients came to me and lost weight on their own, I thought to myself, these two men, because it was at the VA, didn't even need a doctor. They lost weight on their own. I thought, this is easy. You know, we'll do a few studies in 20 years. Obesity will be gone. So I'm just, I'm focusing on methods where you don't need a doctor. (laughs) You don't need medication. And uh but I hope I gave you the correct impression that I'm not against them. And I'm not morally opposed to them like some internet influencers it, it's kind of crazy um even then some people at an extreme level benefit and there's no other option than weight loss surgery because they' their their hormonal system is so uh disrupted. Um, so let's Lisa says, I, Dr. Westman, I'm obese, or Liza. Uh, I'm obese and diabetic. I'm on metformin, glipizide, and ozempic. I uh, had a dose for diabetes. I started keto for about 10 days now. What should I be looking out for in terms of additional side effects and would need to address with my PCP? He knows keto, however, is not too thrilled over it. Well, I am. Um, so uh, I the blood sugars, you have to be measuring your blood sugars. When they start getting under a hundred, you start stopping these medications and the, uh, all of these, uh, um, uh, medicines may combine to give you GI side effects. GI side effects means gastrointestinal side effects, meaning nausea, um, upset stomach, um, uh, a little bit of loose stools, that sort of thing. Um, so, um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, just watch the blood sugars like crazy. When they get under 100, don't take those diabetes medicines, which are the ozempic, glipizide. Metformin generally doesn't cause low blood sugars, but still, uh, I prefer you don't know, tell me how much weight you need to lose, which is a proxy for the insulin resistance that needs to be fixed. But um, I'm glad you're, um, uh, well, I don't know if you're having success. I hope you are. Um, let us know. That's why we're, we have the set up the 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 group and the ad, admins to help you out there. Um, so now I wonder if I can switch to you. Now I'm still restricted from screen sharing. Kyle, don't know. Well, I was going to show you some. Um, Michelle asked, under a hundred fasting, right? I'm, I, well, hundred is that you're the blood sugar? of blood sugar under a hundred at any time during the day. Don't take insulin if your blood sugar is under 100. It's just going to make it go super low. And about there, fasting and during the day, it should be pretty close, maybe 30 or 40 points there. But um, So I'd rather have you be a little high on the blood sugar than way too low. Um, And it's all explained in the new diabetes course, which is going to be coming out. Uh, Yeah, I still can't can't show the screen. Um, Oh, well. Um, what I would like to do is switch to a little bit about the low-carb Denver meeting. How many of you have been to uh, low-carb, um, either ADAPT, great, uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa, Lisa, how do you say it? Lisa has me, has me all into, uh anyway. Um, <laughs> it's Lisa. Lisa, you're yeah. Lisa too. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So great. Yeah. Honest, Dr. Morsman to adapt event. A- How about a low carb USA symposium, metabolic health, keto fest, keto con, keto this, keto left, keto right, low carb Denver is where I was. So low carb Denver is uh, attended the Denver virtually and got CME credits. That's great. Um, so low carb Denver, I was going to show you a picture of Jeff Gerber put on by a family medicine doctor in uh, Denver. He calls himself Denver's diet doctor. Um, and um, uh, it, it, it was a great meeting. So there were 600 in person and 300 on the Zoom uh, virtual meeting, uh, which is great. Uh, and I have to say the whether it was just because people hadn't been together for uh, during COVID, um it was just really exciting to see people. The energy was high. And, and I have to say, um, my muscles are still sore from from smiling all the time. And I was going to show you our booth that we had, the Adapt Your Life Academy booth, first one we've ever had. Um, uh, it was really great. And it's all purple with the purple logo and had, you know, pull up um, – pictures of amy and me and the other uh teachers of in in the academy courses that are done and the traffic was great we were positioned right at the corner as people were coming around coming and going and um uh so the meeting itself amy gave a talk on thyroid which was fantastic um the uh speakers uh Committee in their infinite wisdom didn't want me to have a full talk, so I weaseled my way into being a moderator for one of the sessions, which actually I got to put in a few two cents here and there. Um, and um, the session that I moderated included a doctor from Miami who's an expert in the coronary arteries calcium score, that, and that uh, was on the same session as David Diamond, who is you know it says LDL doesn't matter. Quite controversial guy, uh, but the the doctor who knew all about coronary artery calcium score had never been to a low carb meeting. I, I finally got that sense because he really didn't. He, he was he was giving the kind of standard doctor cardiology sort of cardiology speak. Uh, you know, this will happen and all that, and I and I just had to say, well, actually, we see things that doctors don't normally see because there are a lot of people out here you know, including my patients in the audience who don't eat carbs. And um, and I think he left favorably impressed. Um, and uh, he is the one who has authored many papers called The Power of Zero. What that means is if your coronary artery calcium score is zero and you're a carb eater, because remember, this is all studied in people who eat carbs. Over the next 10 years, your likelihood of having a heart attack super low. Now, it's not zero because you're an American eating carbs, but it's a lot lower than if your coronary artery calcium score is not zero. Okay. So that zero score is, is puts you, you know, golden. If you can generalize from the carb eaters out there to those of us who don't eat much carb, and I think it can. I think we can actually do better than that, but that, you know, that's my hunch. That's based on the inflammatory markers going down, the reversal of metabolic syndrome, the you know triglyceride comes down, HDL goes up. Uh, but it was great to have him speak and show all of the uh, updated information on. So even in, if you're a carb eater and your LDL is super high, if your calcium score is zero, your risk is really low. And and so it's he's been in these guidelines trying to shift and add in this calcium score as a measurement actually to get people so they don't need to take statin drugs. And so it's been interesting to see. Um, he, he was very optimistic. In fact, he's a young researcher. I reminded of me, you know, 30 years ago thinking I everything mean, would be fixed overnight. Um, but he, he actually had been on a guideline panel to include. So the coronary score is included in uh, some of the cardiac guidelines. Um, but um uh, in that same morning, we actually were able to hear from Dave Feldman, who is the computer scientist who created the Cholesterol Code, and has a study going on with people who use low carb keto diets and have a real high LDL level. He presented the first data. They now have um, recruited a hundred people, uh, and they—if you got recruited—you would be sent to Los Angeles and be put in a CT scan machine that looks at the inside of the arteries. It's called a CT angiogram. And uh, the goal is to get 100 people, do a scan, and then follow them over the next year, do another scan, and see if there's any accumulation of damage in the artery from the super high LDL. And what was remarkable, now you can't write home about it yet, uh, but as it's kind of expected, because there are a lot of anecdotal uh, signals, and this is just putting a bunch of people together, 100 people, um, the average length of time of people on a keto diet was about four years, and and they had the people have had a super high LDL. The average is about, I think, 280, something like that, LDL, not total. So that's LDL, that's the average, in over four years, and Just about everyone, not everyone, but just about everyone had a zero coronary artery calcium score. If LDL was the cause and and is the cause, the one and only cause of coronary calcification and coronary blockage, you would expect some of these people to have some serious damage over an average of four years. Um, Well, they didn't find it. And um, the, well... Let's say so. Dave, in his usual way, said, "I can't show you my data yet." <laughs> what he did is a clever thing: is he showed a population study um, and said the results are very similar to this. So he basically used a different study to let us know what the findings were. Very clever guy. Um, and um, the possibility of having super high LDLs and having it not cause disease is huge, right? I mean, so you have doctors and dietitians and grocery store clerks looking at you about eating eggs and butter and fat and all that. I think it's it's going to be fine. It's the carbs that are doing all the, the bad things. Um, already the lipid groups, so... Um, you have to understand there's a whole subspecialty in internal medicine called the lipid association all they do is obsess about people lipids and give them drugs for it god forbid you could change the lipids by changing the food but you know that's just my subspecialty of internal medicine they don't ever ask you about what you eat and drink they want to diagnose you with things and give you medicines for things uh but so so that was the kind of There's a kernel of new data that made the meeting, basically, because we're anxiously awaiting what will happen in this study. You know, good or bad, we need to know what happens when people have super high LDLs on a keto diet, and they're not being treated for the LDL elevation. Um, So um, other uh, highlights on the, so the the meetings themselves, uh, there was a, fellow who'd been on National Geographic, you know, again, these meetings now are kind of bringing in paleo, primal, hunter-gatherer, and then clinical use. Um, There really wasn't much epilepsy that world that we crossed circles with that group at the Metabolic Health Summit, which was in Santa Barbara earlier this year. Uh, But um, the paleo, the the lead speaker, uh, he'd been on National Geographic, he was a uh, a former uh, college professor, just great performer, really. Um, he had a piece of, he had a rock, and he basically went, and then there was this sharp edge, and he said, this changed the world for humans, so that we were able, we humans were able to cut with a new tool. So, of course, this goes back, I don't know, humpteen years, uh, but he basically told the story of, um, Paleo, that that were designed basically not to eat carbs, uh, and um, not in a clinical way, but in a historical hunter gatherer um, paleontology way. Um, and listen to you know just reassure you that there are people who push other types of diets focusing on things that really aren't scientific, but they can be persuasive. Um, as an aside, and this is what's so great about these meetings. There's a nurse practitioner whom I met in Salt Lake City uh, last year. She had sent her breast milk to UCLA on her own because she was experimenting with different diets. And so she showed me her data now of her own breast milk that she sent and how there was more fat in the milk and more calories per ounce when she was doing a keto diet which makes sense. Uh, I've had other people tell me, uh, doctors who have worked with me, that if they pump their breast milk, there's a f- bigger fat layer if they're doing a keto diet uh, when they freeze it. Um, but that, you know, that's all anecdotal. But so I'm walking down the hallway and I'm, I introduced the nurse practitioner with the data to this paleo guy who got up and went, you know, here's the rock that changed everything. And he said, well, you know, I've thought about this quite a bit. And we use lactose to ferment things. And, and he said, I don't think the baby absorbs the lactose. He thinks the microbiome, the bacteria absorb the lactose, and, and that the child really probably is in ketosis, even though there's people say, well, there's so much lactose. And so, he, in his work, and his world, he has fermented things, and lactose he thinks may not actually be absorbed. Well, this is they're discussing this. I you know I say exchange information, please, and then he asks, you know, was your baby ever in ketosis? Sure enough, she uh, checked with the blood meter, and the her ketones basically matched her kid's ketones, even when breastfeeding. Now this is anecdotal, offline, but when you start hearing this stuff, you know, uh, for me it was back in Indonesia with the Jakarta meeting where I met doctors who, who talked about the keto babies. We had hundreds of keto babies. And in fact, they're developing faster than babies that eat carbs. And, and I met with a pediatrician and family doctor there. And, and, um, so I have kind of been, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, given the, uh, heads up that there may be a signal here. And, um, uh, and then uh, Mary Newport, who's the known for giving her husband coconut oil to help her uh, husband's dementia uh, it was a it was actually a pediatric ICU doctor a neonatologist and she said it's yeah clearly babies are born in ketosis and I, and I said well let's let's find it and they, well they don't measure it <laughs> but you know so I'm trying to get someone to just collect ten in a row of babies born and in, in I'm sure they draw blood for other things. Let's just check some ketones and see because these are all sort of urban legends that um, that matter. I mean, it's to the point where I finally woke up one day and said, oh my gosh, all humans go into nutritional ketosis when they don't eat for two days. So if, if you're not eating, the only energy you have available is fat. And that fat, part of it goes to making ketones. And so, have no worries that being in nutritional ketosis is harmful. It's sort of the default protective state when you don't eat anything. You know, and so it's kind of just flipping things upside down. It's not wrong or bad to not eat carbs. In fact, it's the way the body works when you're not eating anything. You know, how you think about a computer you're not using a computer it goes down into like sleep mode conserving mode you know so what the evolutionary force or god would create a system where when you're not eating anything it would put you into a toxic state that you know no no i i really don't think that's what's going on i don't know for sure but um so let's see other other highlights off um uh off meeting time again those connections, um, uh, these two young doctors from the Philippines, no Malaysia, excuse me, Malaysia came up to me, and and basically were were what's the uh, fanning? Whatever you know, like big fans of me, and what's you know, kind of odd, right? Uh, and um, they are actually shaking people off medication. Uh, and uh, worldwide, using a plat- uh, digital platform, and as I was talking, you know, they've treated over a thousand people already. And um, and they said, well, how how did you learn? I said, well, you watched your videos. Like, well, great. Uh, so let's say you're following someone, and and you're, you know, what happens? Well, we will monitor the blood sugars, and when it gets down, you know, to this level, we take them off the medicine. And it's better to be a little higher than too low. And I'm like. How did you learn that? We watched your video. You taught us. Like, oh my word! So I do a, a uh, interview for them for their own people at home, and and they say, you know, we call you the father of Quito. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The father that's Dr. Atkins. That's all. And and the oh no, Dr. Atkins was the grandfather. And so um, I don't know. This is kind of like one of those memes perhaps going out there but um, if you, if you kind of step back we were the ones who put it into the medical literature which then kind of pierces this veil of, of uh, credibility perhaps and um, to so to the outsider who doesn't know all of the story but I guess I could see why that would be a logical conclusion although you know that in fact well, maybe you don't. The, the list that I give you was created by Dr. Atkins and his team, and I borrowed it from him when we visited the Atkins Center in 1998. So our uh, notoriety really is that we studied it and published papers and created an a, a evidence base behind it. Um, but that was kind of cute. And then so um, they we connected on WhatsApp, which is, you know, the kind of Asian um, – Facebook if you will it, uh, it, it um, just connects people by email and so I get a text that later that night on WhatsApp hey would you like to go out for a drink and it was the young doctors I said well yeah I'm just too tired oh, maybe tomorrow so the next night we're, I was going to show you a picture of us uh, out for a drink um, and um, not only was the were the two young Malaysian doctors there there was Dr. Naomi Perella who is a uh, obesity medicine doctor at Rush in Chicago? I've known her for some time, and she wants to start using the Adapt program to teach her people there. Um, and then there was uh, Amy Goss and her husband, Dr. Goss, is a PhD researcher at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, and I got to spend, you know, off meeting time. Uh, with Dr. Goss and learned about her program led by Dr. Barbara Gower at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. And they now have several major studies, meaning NIH R01s, which is minimum $5 million, which gets the attention of a major university research group. Um, And then at the, so that was a highlight for me to hear not only um, the Birmingham group but also, there's a group in Denver that is receiving funding from a, from nonprofits to look at heart failure, and so there's a signal of like research popping up uh, for heart failure. And for at Birmingham, it's the childhood fatty liver, and um, it it's just fascinating how problems that no one else can fix or no, they're probably probably no one else has a drug for. These are areas then that will be studied first, you know. Um, but uh, that was exciting to see. It's, uh, of course, I heard about Jeff Wallach and Steve Finney getting uh, research money from the Department of Defense to study heart failure as well. Um, I heard about that last fall for the first time. So that, that, you know, for this to really take hold and then convince the, the, the insurance companies, Medicare, we need to get those kinds of clinical trials done. I'm not worried about safety in using this. We have plenty of information, and and with monitoring, I think it's fine to do now. Like this is why we have you in a group, um, but to convince other people to spend money and to spend your insurance or taxpayer dollars, you need more evidence than there is. And doing these kinds of studies will be very important to convince the uh, payors, the people paying money for it. Um, so, uh, yeah, well that, uh, and there were four, uh, KMS grads who were there that came up to the booth and we took photos and, um, uh, always fun to see, uh, and, um, uh, give a little extra, you know, uh, information that's tailored to your particular issue. Um, and, um, Diet doctor was there, Andreas Infels, uh, in, from Stockholm, and he's creating a stir by broadening his message to go beyond low-carb and beyond keto to add in the idea of just satiety. As he explained to me, he's not ditching the old low-carb keto. He's adding on, in addition to the house, so to speak, <laughs> of um, um, uh, the satiety, higher-protein, uh, foods that are, are filling rather than a metabolic state. And I, I have to think that it's because um, they want to get more people in their sight. Yeah, I think the, to broaden the message to more people, you have to be a little more in- inclusive of other approaches. And um, although some people are not happy with that kind of change, I think it was it, it's a growing pain of a growing company and, and trying to get more people interested into just cutting out carbs, cutting down on carbs and keto may not have to be necessary or optimal for everyone. We really don't know. Um, but, um, uh, so yeah, I, I always like to follow uh, what Andreas is doing. Um, I remember seeing him with a, with his own little camera, just himself on the low carb cruise. And now he has 45 employees with low carb, um, Uh, a low-carb focus at dietdoctor.com. Pretty incredible how much influence they've had. Um, So let's see. um, Exciting time for keto research. Yep. So Dave Feldman showed if LDL was dense or light. So don't know. So Valerie, we didn't get those details. So it's very possible that the kind of explanation to accommodate the, the, the old world and the new world is that the light, fluffy, LDLs are super high and, and there's no small dense and that and everyone would be happy because cholesterol matters, but it's just the low, you know, small dense ones. I'm not so sure. I, that's a great story, but I'm not sure that is really as important as everyone says. Um, uh, but we didn't get any data from Dave on the LDL detail yet. Um, they are going to publish that initial data Uh, it's very common in a study that's, there's a beginning and an end that people publish the beginning, um, and that will be very interesting to see if there is a, you know, pretty much everyone has light, fluffy, large LDL that'll be consistent with the story, that it's the small dents that gets into trouble. Um, let's see, Valerie says, I saw that obesity is affecting military recruitment. Yeah. Um, and, uh. Obesity, yes, it's everywhere, right? And uh, so that's, you know, looping back to the beginning that I'm I'm not against the use of medications. I prefer lifestyle change to teach. It's cheaper, it's safer, um, uh, it's uh, healthier, I think. I I can't prove that, but uh, just from a general sense that uh, what's that old, um, that old advertisement? It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. You know, to mess with Mother Nature, the these pills and shots do change hormonal uh, uh, systems inside the body, and there may be unintended side effects like that medicine that causes the urine to leak glucose. That's the Jardians or Invokana. Uh, those are associated with infection because if you have sugar in the urine, it's in, it's likely to get infected. So that's an unintended consequence, even though they wanted to get sugar out of the blood and put into the urine to lower the blood sugar. It's just you know the side effects to me are just you know kind of ghastly. Um, so um, yeah, well, any other sort of last questions? I, I wanted to ta- talk about the medicines and then the uh, low carb Denver meeting, um, and then oh, I did have a couple slides I was going to show the the power of zero I mentioned. And then Nina Teichholz got up and talked about the new Tufts University guideline, and and uh, you know Tufts, um, it, it's it's just kind of embarrassing that they they put ten cereals up as healthier foods, like including Fruit Loops, is healthier than hamburger. Yeah. So anyway, it's under the guise of a university, but what she showed is the you know hundred different companies that are funding the university. And so it's just like a governmental guideline with lobbying. The governmental guideline reflects the lobbyist company view. So did the Tufts guideline. It was really embarrassing. And it's sad to see Dr. Mozaferian, who I, he's, you know, probably my age or a little little younger, kind of shift. He he was more of a data-driven person until he got to become dean of this school. And I'm sure it's just a matter of following the dollars hate to say it, but uh, I guess everyone has their price. Um, Not me. Mm -hmm. Mary has a very nice book that um, will outline why it can be helpful to not eat carbs to prevent or treat cancer. Um, Of course, it's not powerful enough on its own. You always want to add it as an adjuvant. But um, the uh, other book that comes to mind is The Dietitian's Dilemma, Although it's a different sort of situation, uh, Michelle Hearn was seriously affected by a disease no one could know what it, knew what it was, and she's a dietitian, and so she basically went against everything she was taught and did a carnivore diet and fixed all of her chronic medical problems. So she wrote a book, The Dietitian's Dilemma, which is you know what if what you do in your own lived experience goes against everything you've been taught. And it's very nicely, um, uh, written. In fact, I, I in that book is a former patient of mine who I lost track of. And, uh, and she's written a book on her own about her transformation, uh, by doing a carnivore diet. And this approach we have is very close to a carnivore diet. I mean, it's having a few veggies and you know leafy greens and then, a non starchy veggie, but um uh uh those come to mind. But you know, the the um strength with which other doctors can persuade is really kind of alarming to me and with how little data they have and, and um the uh you know we kind of wring our hands <laughs> together as the as the plant based and all this you know, money-driven stuff, really, because uh, there's not a lot of science about plant-based and cancer, although all the doctors will say you need to eat more plants to get out of cancer, which has no data behind it. Um, I, I don't know. You know, the the um, idea that you're a good patient and you follow your doctor's orders to the extent that you gain 100 pounds, or you're just a sugar addict and it gives you permission it enables you. Um, so maybe "Food Junkies" by Vera Tarman is the right one, if that's um, going on. Uh, or maybe he's a new doctor. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you guys up there in Canada, you don't get to choose. Huh? Not, not really. Incidentally, he's he is American, but he lives in Canada. But um, he's married to a Canadian. But um, so he possibly could could go to the states if he needed to, but. Um... Thank you. I was just curious. I thought you might have some ideas about books. I'll definitely look into those. Yeah. Does anyone else have a um, see, Unfit to Serve PDF from CDC? Oh, oh. Uh, I see. That's the um, military having trouble with obesity. Yeah. Well, you know, um, a few years back there was a report on how the size of coffins has grown, you know, because if you're... Um, Having to bury people who are obese. Um, Yeah, it affects lots of people, lots of things. Um, um, It was just kind of a, I don't know why I thought it was just one of these things at the meeting. um, I don't know if you've followed um, Peter Ballerstad. Peter calls himself the sod father because he um, uh, sells grass. It is, in fact, it's grass that cows eat. So he's he's taught, brought me to some uh, grazing conferences where they're selling grass and a lot of... Anyway, um, and we were talking and other things led to... You know, water in the desert is so, um, so scarce, right? Where does a camel keep its water? You know, in fact, it's in the fat. So when you when you burn fat, the fat turns into carbon dioxide and water and energy. So anyway, it was it was fascinating to um, think and not not only the camel situation, but the um, there was another animal that basically the fat burning is what gives it its what the whale. Where does the whale get fresh water? A whale in the ocean. Stefana, fascinating so anyway um, there's so much to learn <laughs> um, and just be reassured that every human when they don't eat for two days goes into nutritional ketosis how can that be bad for you right I mean uh, tell me if that just is so weird to me it has sort of a it's called face validity meaning it's a you know you know or the no shit Sherlock sort of thing of um, how can that be bad for you? Well, nobody's been in that. Well, that doesn't mean, that's not great evidence, you know. So anyway, not that I'm in ketosis all the time. I don't know that. In fact, I, I one of the questions I asked, sort of a I I I now have a reputation of kind of asking difficult questions of other speakers, but I was very curious with that panel. Um, there were uh, these clinicians that I, I asked, if they asked their patients to measure ketones, and if they measured ketones themselves. And the three panelists, none of them measured their own ketones. One of them measured their own glucose, and one of them asked their patients to measure glucose. Uh, But so even though there's this kind of early user fascination with measurement of things, it's really not necessary. I don't think even the, the personal... Living of these people, although Doctor, um, the Doctor from Israel, uh, Mariela Glant, basically said, "Well, it's my lifestyle. I don't need to check ketones, and when I do check them, I, I have ketones. So I, if you're super strict, you don't have to do it." Um, and uh, and then, of course, I got uh, given a hard time by the owner of Keto Mojo, who they are really nice folks, um, Dorian and Gemma. And, and, you know, he kind of had, and we wish more doctors would recommend using the Keto Mojo. He looked right at me, and I said, look, Dorian, my brand is Keto Made Simple, and you don't have to measure ketones. And he said, I, I know. You know. But anyway, um, there are many different ways to go about this, but this way is time-honored. It came out before computers and, and bullets of coffee and all that mess. Um, bye-bye.